Okay, uh, have your notes with you. We'll be turning to uh, page 10. I'll be looking this morning, the first part of this morning, anyway, looking at Jesus' ministry foretold in the Old Testament. We'll also be looking at, very briefly, how it's fulfilled in the New Testament. And then we'll take a time, um, again, as we've been doing, some personal reflection upon the teaching, and then uh, take some time to pray with each other again. And then we'll look at problem texts and teachings. So we look at some of the issues that the New Testament raises regarding healing. And then uh, we'll take a short break after that. And then um, Pat will share about the different kinds of healing. We're going to do actually a part one and the part two of that. So part one will come before lunch. Part two will come after. It's a rather lengthy teaching, yet an important teaching to understand the different kinds of healing prayer. So page 10, we'll take a look at Jesus' ministry foretold and fulfilled. First, Isaiah the prophet. A major prophet in the Old Testament, one who looked for the Messiah to come, stirring up the hearts of the people who were in exile. So Isaiah was one of those prophets the Lord raised up to once again rekindle in the hearts of people hope and expectation that God hadn't abandoned his people. And this is what he says about the Messiah. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring glad tidings or good tidings to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to bring, proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and a day of vengeance of, of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion, to give them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a faint spirit. They may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Well, this is what the Messiah would do when he came. This is what they were looking for in a Messiah. This is the job description of the Messiah. Okay? This is what he was about. And as you can see here, binding up the wounds of the brokenhearted, setting forth those free who have been in prison, comforting those who are mourned, changing their mourning into giving them a mantle of praise. This was the work of the Messiah. And then if you look at letter B, Luke chapter 4, Jesus stands up his first sermon, his first homily in, Luke, in his hometown of Nazareth. This is what he says. It came to, he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and he went to the synagogue as his custom was on the Sabbath day. He stood up to read. Now, he could have read anything. He chose to read this. We're not sure if he chose it directly or if it was the kind of the lectionary of the day. We're not really sure. But he, the Hebrew people, the men anyway in the synagogue, had the opportunity to read anything they wanted to read in terms of the scriptures. But this is what he read. And there was given to him the book of the prophet Isaiah. He opened the book and found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives, the recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who were oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today... This scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Up until that point, people would have said, oh, he's reading from Isaiah. No problem, right? When he says today it's being fulfilled, he was in a sense saying, I'm the Messiah who's going to fulfill this in your, your lifetime and in, in the lifetime the generations to follow. And that, that was a tremendously unique statement that was being made at that point. Let's turn over to page 11, give you a little bit of context for this 
John the Baptist had been preparing the way for Jesus to, uh, for Jesus to come. Jesus, of course, came. Uh, John even sent some of his disciples to follow Jesus. John got busted. He's put in jail by Herod. Okay, He's probably awaiting his execution, most likely. And he wanted to make sure that he was preparing for the right person. So he sent two of his disciples to Jesus and asked him this question. So the disciples of John told him of all these things. And John, calling to him, two of his disciples, sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you he who is to come? Or should we look for another? And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you he who is to come? Or shall we look for another? In that hour he cured many of diseases and plagues and evil spirits, and on many that were blind he bestowed sight. And he answered them, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the dead hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is he who takes no offense at me. Jesus could have answered that question in a lot of different ways. He could have said, go tell John, go check out his Hebrew catechism and see if it's there. Okay. It's not what he said, though. He said to John, tell John what you see and what you hear. And then he began to list the things that was going, that was going on. That's how Jesus identified for John that he was the Messiah. Because that's what Messiah's stuff does when Messiah comes. This is the things he does. He heals, he sets free, gives sight to the blind physically, but also in their hearts. Brings good news to the poor, opens up the ears or death, as well as the hearts that are closed. Okay, so summary then, real quickly. The scriptures foretell the ministry of Jesus, or ministry of healing in Jesus' life. As the Messiah, he fulfills what the Messiah would do when he came, heal the sick and set free the oppressed. Well, this hasn't stopped. He's still the Messiah. 2,000 years later, he's still the Messiah. He hasn't changed. You know, he hasn't changed his identity when he went back to heaven. He's still the Messiah. So the Messiah has now left it with his church to continue to do what he did, which, by the way, is what the combination of Luke's Gospel, Luke, and his book of Acts, his sequel, was all about. That here's what Jesus did in Luke, let me, let me tell you, and then here's what the church should be doing. Carrying on the ministry of Jesus, doing what Jesus did. If you have your Bible with you, we're going to take a look at uh, these next couple passages here in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 8. Your Bible or your Bible app whatever no longer can we say anymore just pull out your bibles now it's like pull out your ipads your smartphones with your bible app matthew chapter 8 matthew records for us a series of healings of jesus in and in chapters 8 and 9 so we'll just look at a few of them matthew's gospel was written to particularly a jewish people trying to help them understand that Jesus fulfills all the Old Testament prophecies, particularly regarding that of the Messiah. So Matthew chapter 8, begin with verse 1. When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And he stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be, be clean. And immediately this leprosy, his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priests. Offer the gift that Moses commanded for proof to the people. Well, 
first of all, we see uh, here Jesus' willingness to cleanse and to heal the leper. It wasn't just simply a healing physically, although that was very important. It was a restoration of the man back to the life of the Hebrew people. As a leper, he was ter- isolated from his family, his work, his employment, his community, his worship in the temple, which was everything to this man, to typical Hebrew. And he was isolated because of the leprosy disease. And when Jesus healed him, he was restoring the man physically, of course, but also spiritually, relationally. And also there was a theory going around that said that if you have these kind of diseases, God was afflicting you. Like God was after you. Like, what did I do? You know? But so when Jesus healed him, he was reconciling and healing his image of God which was one that was judging him, in a sense, for something he did for some sin he committed. So it's like God, Jesus was saying, look, I'm God, and I don't have a problem with this. I'm going to heal you. So, you know, it was, a, it was a false teaching that you were under. And so he healed him to reconcile him. So there's a healing at different levels with this man. And that's important to understand here. When we talk about healing, we're talking about it on different levels in the person. Not just physical, that's important. Spiritual, relationally, our relationship to God, inner healing. We'll talk more about those things later on, and so on. Okay, let's look at Matthew chapter 8, um, verse 5. This is the healing of the centurion servant. As he entered this Capernaum, um, a centurion came forward to him, begging him and saying, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home in terrible distress. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion said to him, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I'm a man under authority, with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. To another, come, and he comes. And to my slave, do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard him, he marveled and said to those who followed him, truly I say to you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from the east and and west and sit at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into outer outer darkness. There men will weep and gnash their teeth. And to the Satorian, Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. So here we see again Jesus' willingness to come and to heal. Notice he says to the Satorian, uh, I will come, I will heal him. So here we have a centurion who was in some way connected with the Roman government, was given the responsibility of, of keeping things in order with the synagogue, approaching a rabbi, probably was not good for his reputation to do that, okay? But he does it anyway because his servant, whom he loves dearly, he, he knows that Jesus is the source of healing for that man. Um, notice that what he says, though, you don't have to come under my roof, just say but your word. And Jesus was amazed. Notice in verse 10 it says, uh, my version says, Jesus heard him, he marveled. Um, can you imagine Jesus marveling or being shocked by somebody's faith? I mean, it's like Jesus was wowed at that moment by this man's faith. He'd never seen anything like it in Israel. Jesus is moved by faith, and he's moved by a trust in him. Okay, one more passage, Matthew chapter 9. Start with verse 1. And getting into a boat, he crossed over and came to his own city. And behold, they brought to him a paralytic lying on his bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. And some of the scribes said to themselves, This man is blaspheming. 
And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, why do, you, why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise and walk? But that you may know the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he, said, he then said to the paralytic, rise, take up your bed, and go home. And he rose and went home. And the crowd saw, the, saw it. They were, they were afraid, and they glorified God who had given such authority to men. Okay, here, Jesus does two things. He forgives the man's his sins, and he heals him physically. And Jesus is saying the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins as well as to heal. If all Jesus did was heal the man, the, probably the um, Pharisees, well, they would have had a problem with that. I mean, they would have said, well, that just adds to Jesus' credibility. He's doing that. But with the fact that he added to it forgiveness of sins really took him to, for a loop because only God can forgive sins, which Jesus claiming he was God. Well, as the Son of God, as the Word of God made flesh, he was doing exactly that. He was forgiving sin. He was healing the brokenness in the man's body as well as in his spirit. He was restoring the man at different levels. When we pray with people for healing, sometimes physical healing doesn't always occur right away because there are other areas in a person's life that are blocking that. For example, there's a need to maybe reconcile relationships or the need to have their sins forgiven with God. And those things can block physical healing. Um, and so sometimes we say, well, we prayed for the person and they didn't get well. Well, you know, maybe, and maybe there's other areas of our life that we need to talk to them about or ask about, or maybe the Lord will show us about that because those other areas are significant areas that can block the flow of healing physical healing in a person's life. Again, we'll talk more about that this afternoon. Okay, let's take a look at letter E. Jesus' ministry is multiplied here. He just doesn't stop with himself. He gives it first to the 12. Let's take a look at um, Matthew 10, since we're in Matthew. One of the things that Jesus was doing in his ministry is he was equipping and training his disciples. His, and he, he has a pecking order here. It's 12 and then, then the 72, and eventually the whole church. But Jesus doesn't want to keep the ministry to himself. He wants to give it away. That's, I think, a really important understanding about Jesus is that he doesn't hoard healing for himself. Like, I'm the healer. No, he, he wants to equip his church to do what he's doing. He wants to train his people to do what he's doing. Okay, so Matthew chapter 10, he called the 12, to a, he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and infirmity. Okay, so look at verse 5. These 12 Jesus sent out, charging them to go nowhere among the Gentiles, enter into the town of the Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and preach as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. You receive without pay, give without pay, and so on. He gives other instructions as well. Sound familiar? That's what Jesus was doing. So where did they learn that? Well, they learned it by watching with him, by getting instruction from him. And then he would send them out. And then when they came back, he would say, how to go, guys? He would debrief with them, you know? And he would talk with them, like, how'd it go? Like, what were, your, what were your struggles? What were your challenges? What were your successes? What happened? You know, how'd you feel about this? How'd you respond to this? And then he would debrief with them. He would mentor them. He would coach them, disciple them. Because this was really important for Jesus to do. Because as the Messiah, he didn't want to see all this stop with him when he left the earth. 
He wanted to see this continue with his church. Okay, let's uh, look at, um, I want to go to Luke chapter 9. Okay, and verse 1, he called the 12 together, gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. He sent them out to preach the kingdom of God and to heal. Okay, so again, he took the 12 and sent them out. Now, let's take a look. Um, we want to look at chapter 10 or of Luke, chapter 10, verse 1. So we had the 12, which are pretty important guys in Jesus' setup. You know, they're going to be ones that are actually going to continue with the church. And verse 10, verse 1, rather, chapter 10, after this, the Lord appointed 70 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was to come. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Pray, therefore, to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. And then he says, go your way. Behold, I send you out as lambs in the midst of the wolves, carrying no purse, no bag, no sandals, and salute no one on the road. Okay. And then um, if you look down to verse 8, he says, whatever town you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you, heal the sick, and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near you. So Jesus started with the 12. Now he's with the 70. Okay, and he sends them out to do the exact same thing that the 12 were doing because they're, they're doing what he was doing. Okay, let's go to Mark chapter 16. Now, this is um, Mark's version of the ascension. So Jesus is leaving, going back to heaven, and he's speaking, giving last instructions to his disciples. So Mark chapter 16. We'll start with verse 14. Afterward, he appeared to the eleven themselves as they sat at table. He upbraided them for their unbelief and hardness of heart, which means he he took some issue with them because they were slow to believe uh, about the resurrection. They were slow to really really commit themselves to what he was doing. Uh, And so he basically rebuked them for their unbelief. He He didn't do away with them. He didn't fire them. He just rebuked them and wanted to correct them. Okay. And then he says, because they had not believed those who, who saw him after he had risen, and he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to the whole creation. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned, and these signs will accompany those who believe in my name. Now it's no longer the 12 and the 70. It's now anyone who's a disciple. Okay. They will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up serpents. They drink any deadly thing. It will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick, and they will recover. Okay. All right. So Jesus comes to fulfill the mission of the Messiah and the job description of the Messiah. But it doesn't stop with him. He passes it on to the 12, the 70, and then anyone who is a disciple of his, anyone who's baptized into him. That's really important because anyone who is baptized then has the commission to go in his name and lay hands on the sick and they will recover. And so that's what we're about here. Um, So as Jesus, his methodology, if you would, was to, we call it show and tell, basically. Shows them how to go about doing it. 
And then he tells them, this is what I did. And then he basically trains them in the exact same method. He trains them to do what he does. And then he sends them out, and they come back and report to him. And then he gives further instruction based on that. So what we're about here is indeed doing what Jesus did. It's the, it's the ministry of the disciple, all of us who are baptized, to do what Jesus did. To go to the people he went to and to lay hands upon them in his name and pray for the kingdom and the power of the Lord to come upon them. You know? um, and so you can be a bishop, a priest, you can be a pope, you can be anyone baptized in the church. And that's, this is exactly what we're called to do. So the Pope has his calling, and the child that was just baptized last week at St. Patrick's has that same calling. The question is whether we will be obedient and do what Jesus has commissioned the church to do, and whether we'll train and form people like that little child that was baptized, whether we'll train that child in a culture of healing, a culture of praying for the power of God to come upon the broken and the lost and the sick and the poor. And so that's the challenge before us. Okay, let's turn to page 12 now. Um, Take a few minutes here. Again, about five minutes. Summarize briefly the content of this section. Again, what questions came out of this information for you? This is, again, personal to you, private. This will not be shared. We're going to forego the uh, group discussion and just we're going to take time to pray with each other. But I'll direct you in that when we come to it. So just take five minutes, work on A and B.